Hi everyone and welcome again to Training for Life Redeemed. Today is episode 22 and we are looking at Acts chapter 2 verse 42 all the way through to chapter 5 verse 11 and this covers two studies on Acts for us which are studies 3, 4 and 5. Actually that's three studies not two. I need to work on my maths a little bit. But uh, we just had, you know, Pentecost, where we've had 3,000 people get converted, uh, they get baptized, but we now have a church that was 120 people, and we're now up to 3,120, plus, probably plus all the children. What do you do with that kind of growth in a church? <laughs> it's a bit mind-blowing, isn't it? Especially when you've got a staff of so few people to make it all work. But these, these people were mainly tourists. So you've got uh, Jerusalem during a feast like Pentecost would have 50,000 extra men, some with families, coming into town for the festival. And if out of that lot 3,000 get converted and follow Jesus, they're going to be going, most of them are going to be going home in a few weeks. So therefore, they're going to make the most of their time. They want to find out they've discovered who Jesus is. They discovered they got the whole of everything wrong. They've discovered they crucified the Messiah. There's, a, you know, we've got a lot of things to sort out. So the, the particularly the apostles, the eyewitnesses, the people in that 120 in the upper room, they're setting up a teaching ministry. Now this teaching ministry, like I, I feel like there's kind of, kind of a cultural gap, I think, between our culture currently and the culture back then. So. Back in those days, if you attended synagogue and you were going to the temple, you were kind of going there anyway to get taught and to learn stuff, right? Yeah. Well, if you wandered around the temple, you would find sitting around the porch, like there's a porch that goes all the way around the temple. That's Solomon's Colonnade, right? <laughs> that Solomon's Colonnade is one side, the but this goes like three sides, and then the fourth side is the Sanhedrin's office. So in all of those that, that, those porch areas, you've got rabbis sitting down teaching the Bible. People didn't have a Bible they could take home, so they had to come and find somebody who had a copy of the Bible and have them read it and explain it to them. So for the Jewish community, it was really necessary that you would devote time to read the scriptures, to have a rabbi explain them to you and be set up for life. The synagogues, therefore, were more schools than we would imagine a church being. Yeah, uh, People really were expected to spend perhaps their childhood or their early years making sure they had read the whole Old Testament, that the rabbi had explained it. It would be done on, on Friday night and Saturday at synagogue meetings. But particularly during festivals, it was like going to Bible college for a week. Uh, they Not just the sacrifices and the prayers but now I've got access to the best Bible scholars in the world. I'm going to go sit down and listen. Yeah, so it's essentially a one-week, really intensive kind of Bible school thing where they're going to be sitting down and learning all about how the Old Testament then points towards Jesus and really learning to make those changes. And I guess that then also is going to require you know, lots of changes to the church. But before we even get to changes in the church, we have Peter and John go and pray, and there's this big miracle thing, but it's also 
the first time that they're going to get arrested and have to deal with that process as well. It gets really scary because the Sanhedrin sitting at one end of the temple, they've got officers upstairs, they can look down, they can see the courtyard and they can see thousands of people. Uh, They can see that the apostles, (laughs) they've killed Jesus, they thought they got rid of the problem. And now instead of getting rid of the problem, 3,000 people get saved and now they're all massing around all these followers of Jesus, reading the Old Testament and discovering that it's all about Jesus and it's happening right under the Sanhedrin's nose. And to set it right off, the apostles are now performing the miracles that Jesus used to do, except that there was one Jesus and now there's plenty of apostles. So we have this spectacular miracle happening right at the gate where people go in from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women and then through there to the court of the men. And sitting at that, that's a key spot. If you want to beg for money, you sit at the gate where everybody goes in and you do it in the middle of a festival. Everybody knew this guy. So if he's born crippled and Peter comes along and the next thing you know, this guy's leaping all over the place and yelling and carrying on, you're doing this in the middle of thousands and thousands of people. It's it's sort of like the Royal Easter Show for crowds. And the Sanhedrin's now coming out of their office, looking over the balcony, going, what's going on down there? And they find out, well, it's they're teaching people about Jesus and all the crowds are down there and the apostles are telling everybody about Jesus and they're telling them that you killed the Messiah. Yeah, and they also <laughs> have the guy jumping around with his legs at work all of a sudden and... Yeah, they can't deny that. That's a bit <laughs> embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> can't say, well, the miracle didn't happen. So they end up threatening Peter and John, essentially, and then releasing them, telling them, you know, don't, don't start teaching in Jesus. We kind of forbid you to do that again. doesn't really last long. P- Peter and John, you know, they know who they should be listening to, uh, men, or, men or God, and they choose God. So this then leads on to you know, further growth, I guess, of the church. They've just had 3,000 in one day, and now it's going to continue to grow if we have miracles like this and people and Peter and John teaching uh, about Jesus. So that then leads us into you know, what what are we doing next with our church? We have these couple of passages throughout here where it talks about the congregation kind of being of one in mind and sharing things. What, why is that important? Why is that mentioned multiple times at the beginning of Acts? You start off with the fact that the Sanhedrin has tried to intimidate. And if it was just like 12 or 13 guys, they were hiding in an upper room. They were scared the police were going to find them. If they can kill Jesus, they can kill anybody. So with that fear in mind, you would expect these guys at the first shot being fired to go hide somewhere again. But they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. God is resident in them. So Peter and John stand up in front of the Sanhedrin and say, hang on, mate, we're not on trial. You are. You murdered the Messiah. Yeah, We're the ones out there teaching the gospel. You've had the whole Old Testament. You're the Bible experts. You got it wrong, and you murdered the Messiah. So don't tell us to shut up. You know, We're going to go down there and tell the whole world. And basically it boils down to what are you going to do about it? There's thousands and thousands of people down there, and uh, see you later, folks. We're busy. We've got a lot of people to teach. And those people are desperate to understand and to hear and to know and to reread their Old Testament and rethink their whole life. But, hey, hang on, if we hang around here in Jerusalem, this was a one-day festival. We want to be here a little bit longer than the weekend. 
there's so much more here we want to learn. We're staying with relatives and friends and we've rented a room in somebody's house. Everybody's crowded in. How do we finance this? Uh, how long can I stay and am, am I a burden on the household? Who's going to feed all of these people? So it's time for the church to settle down and think, how can we do the urgent thing of getting the word of God out and at the same time put food on the table and take care of business and look after all these people and their families? The result is people like Barnabas. People start bringing, contributing finances. They start sharing. They start looking after one another. And Barnabas goes to the extent of, oh, you know, I've got a few blocks of land I can sell. Let's get rid of that and I'll bring the cash and that'll help feed all these people and we'll get this ministry going. It's enormously generous. I think it's great to see even just the fact that they're so keen. Like there's this keenness, they're going to hang around, they're going to be got to finance people to stay there, got to feed them, and people are willing to do this. They're willing to actually go about the process of making sure it happens. But then, of course, Ananias and Sapphira <laughs> say they've done the same thing. They, they, they lie about it to try and, I guess, make themselves look good. And the outcome is God just kind of kills them for it. <laughs> We've just had a miracle where a guy gets healed. Now we're going to have a miracle where two people get dead. Uh, if we just had the miracle where the people got healed, you could understand why 50,000 people come rushing in and everybody wants a piece of the pie and it's, you know, everybody's contributing money. We've got an opportunity here to earn merit. We've got an opportunity here to be praised by all of my local Jewish friends who think I'm so wonderful. Become famous. And become famous. <laughs> I can. Th there's lots of motivations here to do it wrong. If you're coming out of a salvation by works culture, obviously you want to stand on the street corner, put on your academic gown, blow the trumpets and have everybody see how much money you're donating and erect a little monument and a brass plaque and put your name on the building. That's the culture. And how do you stop that culture? How do you turn it around to realise this isn't about me big noting me and earning merit? This is about sinful, rotten, stinking me deserves to die having the Messiah die in my place and that brings me to my face that has me loving selflessly not seeking adoration uh, well let's teach you the lesson you don't lie to God coming to Christ is not something you fake it's it's you're dealing with God you're dealing with the one who loved you and gave his life for you you don't mess with him. And so you want to come in here and tell us you've donated you know, everything you own when, in fact, you've donated 20% of it. It's not us that are the ones that are really important here. You treated God like he's not here. Uh, when Israel in the wilderness grumbled, they didn't grumble against God. They blame Moses. They acted as if God had nothing to do with it. It was all Moses' fault. And Ananias and Sapphira are treating the apostles that way. Mm. Uh, they're trying to impress what's visible and they're totally forgetting about the whole point of it. Yeah. And it results in, you know, there's this sense of, you know, verse 11, uh, the great fear that comes over the whole church in the sense of, you know, you can't do the wrong thing and act in this way. And I like how it goes on further. It talks about how people dared not 
join or associate with it says them but that's not the church in general that's just the the leaders the disciples yeah. right because more believers are added to the church but people aren't associating they they instead they hold them in high esteem it's this sense of you know, you're actually doing what you're called to do you're, you you know, they're all getting the holy spirit but they're the ones who have actually been with jesus the whole time and so now that we're now going to hold you in high esteem and listen kind of like in essence, yeah. I'd be like what they did with Moses. Yeah, this is not. We've just changed with, with the death of Ananias and Sapphira. The celebrity culture just went out the window. We're not coming along to a big rally here to be some fan club of a new movement. If you get this movement wrong, you get dead. So there's a fear of God element that comes in and it grounds the preaching of the gospel in reality. We really did see a man born unable to walk, leaping and running around and celebrating the fact that God had healed him. Then we saw people who mess with this killed. So we need to realise this is not some light-hearted entertainment. This, this is life and death. This is eternity in hell. We've got to take this seriously. So the fan club, they walk away. Uh, the people who are serious and who understand the depth and the gravity of what's happening, they're coming in their hundreds. In droves. Hmm. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 22. If you would like the study notes to go with these three studies that we've kind of walked through, you can head over to trainingforliferedeem.com slash 22. You can sign up there and grab your your study notes so that you're ready to dive into those a bit more deeply with those around you. And we hope that you will come and join us next week or possibly in a couple of weeks if you're going through all the studies before you come back to episode 23. Episode 23 is next, looking at chapters 5, verse 12 to 8, 3. Make sure you come back and join us for those. Make sure that if you enjoyed this podcast that you hit the subscribe button. We would love for you to leave us a review or head over to the show notes and leave us a comment and we'll make sure we get back to you. See you next week.